The Leadership Files, a new series from Christians in Sport with Graham Daniels. Debbie Flood, a quadruple Olympian, two silvers, three times world champion uh, as a rower, 06, 07, 10. Uh, retired in 2012, went back to the prison service where she had done some training earlier in life, ends up mentoring athletes, uh, top athletes, working for Christians in sport. Somewhere in there, you cannot be that woman without buckets of leadership. It is not possible. Now, obviously, good leaders are modest, so this is going to be tricky for me because she's bound to be modest about leadership, which is murder when you're trying to get an interview on leadership. But here we are. I'm stuck with it. So, uh, Debbie, because here's the deal. Leander Boat Club, 200 years old, more Olympic medals than any boat club or indeed any club in the history of the Olympics in two centuries, never had a female leader until you, Debbie Flood. That, my friend, is leadership. Don't be modest with me. When did you first work out you had leadership abilities in you? I think it is a strange concept to contemplate because, you know, as you know, Dano, from my profiling, um, even now, you know, my my preference is to to be a helper and a part of a team as opposed to be a leader. Um, but as I have to I have to remind myself, as I often tell the kids when I when I talk in the schools that you know, being a leader is not about being the loudest in the room or the one with the most friends. Actually, it's about someone who does set an example and is a role model and is, you know, leading out a good way forward and being someone who, um, yeah, who draws others along with them. And I wanted to be someone who did that well, someone who did that positively and someone who did that uh, in a good way in my in my team, in the, the rowing world and, you know, as a captain at Leander. But I don't know it's not it's not a word that I, de- I tend to think about as such because it just becomes your normal becomes something that you becomes a part of your normal life and your normal routine in in the area of life that you're in in the sports world right so it, let's say then at least part of leadership is influence yeah. so you don't have to influence by being loud no. or aggressive you can but you can also influence in a host of other ways mm. think now when can you remember early on in life that, that you could influence people to do things that you thought were right? Can you think of an example? Mm. I think um, really back from when, from the age of being uh, probably probably about 16, um, I remember just trying to give wisdom to friends, you know, who were in tricky situations um, at school, in my school, in my school days, and just wanting to, to help lead friends um, with just with good wisdom and, you know, kind of support them in doing that as well as giving them good advice. So not only giving them advice, but walking in them, in that with them, with them. Um, so I think from, yeah, from a, from a teenager really is, I wanted to be able to help people get go in the right direction. Um, and, you know, I knew that by modeling that myself as well, that was, you know, if you're, you've got to speak, you've got to walk the walk that you're asking others to do or you're advising others to do. So that was a big thing for me. So I'm hearing a few ideas here. You see, I'm hearing uh, a conviction. So you say you wanted to help friends mm. walk in the right direction. So you've got a conviction of the right direction. Yeah. Two, you've got compassion 
for people around you because mm. you want to help the mm. best you can them mm. to go in the right direction. Yeah. And three, you want to model it because you want to live it yourself mm. and go with them. There's a lot of ideas in there, aren't there? Yeah. Conviction yeah. of what's right. Yeah. Desire to serve somebody. Yeah. And to be with them in mm. it. Mm. As you look back on your career in the boat because you're yeah. GB level at a judo as a youngster mm. but in rowing yeah how did those leadership qualities and, and seriously now I know you're modest but we're trying to think for elite mm. athletes about the concept of leadership mm. if I can boil down then at least you're saying you did have convictions about the way things should be done yeah you cared enough about people to address those issues and you weren't such a big time person that you didn't actually walk together mm. on those issues. Mm. How did that pan out as a young rower mm. then with senior athletes? Yeah, I think, well, yeah, you need to chuck into that mix then, that highly competitive spirit that <laughs> I definitely had from a from a youngster. And, you know, I I absolutely wanted to reach my potential. You know, I wanted to like embrace the gifts and abilities and desires that God had given me and those passions and the passion for sport uh, and I wanted to do that well um, but being obviously but particularly being in a team sport such as rowing you're not just it's not just about you it's about you as, as a part of a team and I also would look at other athletes and see their huge capacity and potential as well and you know part of my motivation as you know taking on leadership or or you know leading others in the sports world was um, wanting them to achieve their potential as well and actually that feeds into that team dynamic where you know sport can be such a selfish world but actually in the rowing world we competed against each other for seven months of the year but then we had to come together to compete against the rest of the world so you know setting the right direction and um, helping everyone to be achieving what they're capable of was hugely important within the rowing world. Um, as a youngster, you know, I came in and I was quite shy. Um, I was a bit intimidated by the seniors, definitely when I came into into rowing. But I I knew that I wanted to work hard. I knew that I wanted to, um, you know, do as well as I could and embrace the opportunities that were in front of me. And I kind of got on with that in a way in my own little bubble not in my own little bubble but I you know I tried not to be daunted by other people around me I kind of just worked hard and worked with people when I rode with them um I was where did that toughness come from that that you say that sorry to interrupt mm. you but there's some mental toughness mm. there because first of all for seven months of the year mm. you are competing with everybody else to yeah. make that boat yeah. that quad yeah. in your case mm. So there's a number of people mm. fighting each other for a seat in the boat. Yeah. Then you're in the boat and sometimes early on you weren't in the boat, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. How do you lead in that situation? Because yeah. uh, how does leadership not become selfish? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a strange dynamic, isn't it? But for me, you know, I actually cared about the people that I was training with. Um, there was a great level of respect amongst all the athletes because you train so hard, you train day in, day out. You know, you see when people have their good days and bad days and you always have choices. You know, if someone's having a bad day, what do you do? You know, do you do you make sure you're, you're shown to be better than them? You do you make sure that you keep keep them down by kind of, you know, washing them down the river or whatever. But actually, 
you know, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be part of the team. I wanted to be building others up. Why, Debbie? Because people will say, you know very well, you'd have heard enough people say, whoa, weak, that's weak. Mm. This is top-level sport. It's doggy dog. You, how many times have you heard that? Mm. Listen, take no prisoners. If they're done for, see them off because that's one less competitor. Yeah, yeah. Why, why not? Why wouldn't you have done that? Is it just background? Um, I, don't know. I think, you know, I think God just gave me a heart for people. And I, I don't want, I never wanted to be treading people down. I cared more about helping that person than I did about <laughs> looking better than them. Um, and again, I, th- I really feel that that changed when I, when I became a Christian, you know, we talked about when I was 16 and I started to, to help people and try and give good wisdom. And I was, you know, if I look back on my life before I was 15, I was extremely selfish. I didn't have any concerns for anyone else. Um, I, I just did my own thing. I took what I wanted. I did what I wanted. I, you know, said what I wanted, whether it's truthful or not. I just did my own thing. And, you know, looking back to that point, even though I didn't realize at the time that was a change. So it, it has definitely come from, you know, God placing that within me and being in me, you know, that, that is giving me a heart for others around me. Definitely. So if you're the kind of person, because we're, we're speaking, we speak to a number of people on leadership as we put these podcasts together. I, I'm getting the, the, the feel now of, of a person I know well, but it's almost now like the familiar Debbie is, is becoming a stranger one. I, I'm digging underneath the surface and finding out about you a bit more. You're not loud. You don't shout the loudest in a room. You're not this massive extrovert who gets people to follow you like that. You say that becoming a Christian as a teenager really did begin a transformation, mm-hmm. that you're, the depth, which is the person I see, the depth of care for people it is clear in you. How then did you marry the need to lead yourself and others by getting in boats mm. to be in the world championships, to be in the Olympics. How did you marry that crucial need to maximize your skill, mm. see other people off and love people who you're competing with for a boat and indeed for medals in other boats? How, do you do, how did that balance mm. pan out? I think, it, I think it came back for me to what is my motivation? Um, you know, yes, my motivation was to win medals and to win medals against the rest of the world. Um, but more than that, you know, my motivation was to to walk this path that was in front of me, to embrace life and to, to love life and everything around that. And, you know, for me, it, it was more than just the results. It, you know, life is relational, isn't it? It's not just... It's not just me and what I'm doing in my own little bubble. Life is relational. And that was just important to me. So it was not just in how hard I worked with, you know, everything else exclusive to that. Um, you know, I remember Steve Redgrave saying the Olympic motto, higher, faster, stronger becomes your existence as an Olympic athlete. And to some extent it must and does because you've got to be higher, faster, stronger, even to be selected in the first place. But as a Christian athlete, um, you know, it is more than that. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. So it is about being higher, faster, stronger, but it's also more. It's also about the people around you. It's also about who you are. You know, my I didn't want my 
focus for results to be molding and shaping me i wanted my faith to be molding and shaping me and you know god did that throughout that rowing career what strikes me about this conversation is is me asking you how do you maintain that passion mm. to serve to be a leader who serves people and the need to be really good to stay in the boat mm. what do you think is the fundamental challenge you face then if you want to enjoy i mean i i had to recognize that if if i was feeding positivity and building up others around me there was that possibility that they would be better than me and they would get in the boat but at the end of the day if someone was better than me then they get in the boat that is sport but i had i did have confidence often um uh, not realistic confidence but i was always confident that i would be good enough to get in the boat and i trained with that kind of in my in my thinking and in my training um and then if I didn't make it or if something didn't go to plan or I didn't get a result that I wanted, then, okay, I'd have to process that. But my kind of mentality in my training was that I was good enough and that I was going to, you know, achieve what I was capable of. And I, you know, I, I hoped and I, I thought that that would put me in the boat. And, you know, that wasn't always realistic. You know, I, I set out every single year to win trials and I never won trials once. I came second a number of times, but still trained with that kind of, um, ambition, if you like, or with that kind of uh, um, mentality to want to be the best, but I was able to process the result, the results if that wasn't the case. Um, and you know, for me, feeding into a team like that, it should be building each other up. It should be encouraging each other. Um, that is what a fully functioning team should be doing. And if you create that environment, you're not only feeding into others, but if you're setting that example, then they start doing that too. So actually they end up feeding into you and encouraging you and pushing you on. So not only am I encouraging others, but hopefully when the team is working well, they're encouraging me. So it raises the whole standard of everyone, not just um, not just the others and not me, but actually the whole team um, is the standard raised. What I hear when you talk about leadership we try to focus in on this issue is I never hear fear in your voice. Uh, and it was the same when you were competing. I've heard you disappointed. I've heard you cross with yourself. I've heard you full of joy for the sake of others and the team that you're in. Mm. I've never heard you talk with fear. There is something in the New Testament where in one of the letters in the New Testament, it says that perfect love casts mm. out fear. Now, we're all frightened sometimes, obviously. If you're thinking now, if I had to draw you in on this, your faith in Christ, your relationship with God, how that relates to your leadership, is love and fear something to do with it? Yeah, I mean, for me, if I look back to when I first got involved in international sport, again, Christians in Sport came alongside me and I remember wearing the, the wristband, Audience of One, and oh, such a great reminder and something that I often came back to, you know, not fearing what other people think or their expectations or, you know, because actually all those kinds of pressures are just, they kind of suppress you, you know, and actually audience of one knowing that 
actually God is looking and watching and he he is in the joys with us and in the tough times he is you know walking and carrying me and alongside me and you know actually the results don't matter to him um he just wants me to be enjoying what I do be embracing life and and knowing him so for me audience of one was was really key because I'm in, I knew whatever the results, you know, that I, that I am loved and actually that is really freeing and that does cast out fear. And it meant that that, you know, the result wasn't my be all and end all. And, and are you saying that that that's the tone of this interview I'm having with you because of that absolute bedrock security that you're loved, whatever happens, the very things that make you the leader you are, not the loud stuff, not the noisy stuff, but the serving others and caring for them and having conviction about the way things should be done. Did that make it so much easier to lead in the way that fits you then? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I wanted to see others be stepping up into what they were capable of of being and doing as well. And not just in the results, in in all areas and ways. Oh, wow. Leadership comes in all shapes and forms. But fundamentally, it's about service, conviction. It's about character, the character of the leader. Did he hear the character of Debbie Flood on leadership? Did he hear that however competent you are, it's more important to have the right character, that the competence works through? And what I really love about that is that Debbie Flood is not loud. She's not full of herself. And she's a natural leader. God, did you see it? She's never frightened. She's not frightened. Why not? She says because she knows love. Her fundamental identity is not that she's first a leader, but that she's a person. And she says she's a person who knows the love of God and the gifts of leadership that God has given her. And she can give away without fear. Absolutely class. Well, thrilling stuff. That was the third in our series of The Leadership Files. Catch up on the last two episodes. And there will be more in this series over the next few months. Subscribe on iTunes to be the first to find out when the next episode is released. In fact, you can find all of the episodes from the last few years on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. Just search for Christians in Sport. You can also hear the interview with Debbie about her whole career as a rower. And there are many more top-level athletes in our series who simply discuss their story of the interaction of their sport with their Christian faith. Uh, By the way, if you do listen and enjoy Would you be kind enough to leave us a review on iTunes? That would be great for us as we put the podcast together. And finally, as always, if you are an athlete, whether you have some faith, no faith, or many years of faith in Christ, please get in touch with us. We're at christiansinsport.org.uk and we would absolutely love to hear from you. Well, great having you on the Christians in Sport podcast. Delighted to have your company Have a great time and look forward to seeing you in the next episode. The Leadership Files, a new series from Christians in Sport with Graham Daniels.